1: A movie about a revival in the late 1960s, early 1970s, and when does it get released? A couple of weeks after a new revival breaks out in 2023, but of course the movie had been planned a long time ago, it had long since been finished filming, it had been in post-production, it was in the can, it was ready to go, coincidence or an act of God? Well, most Californians think an act of God is an earthquake, so here to straighten them out, why don't we bring in a Texan. Say hello again to
0: Jim Barrier. I like that. You know, I'm excited to be on the show tonight, Bob, because we're going to talk about the Jesus Revolution, the film, and then things that happened during that time. I was right in the middle of it all. And so it's very close to home now. I know you saw the film last night or yesterday, correct?
1: Yes, we did. Dana and I both went to see it. And Brendan here in the studio, he also saw it.
0: Okay. Well, Leslie and I went to see it today. And, you know, you you had told me, you texted me, and you said it, it was something like, the best Christian film or your favorite Christian film or something you gave it. I, I did,
1: and a lot of times I don't like Christian films because I think they're cheesy and not well-made. They have gotten better, and there uh, are others that I've liked, most notably The War Room. However, I, and I'll explain in a moment why I yeah, think okay. this was the best, but I want to hear what you thought of it first.
0: Well, when you said that, I, I thought... Did well, I raise the bar was, too high for
1: you <laughs> that it couldn't live up well, to? Well,
0: I, I was afraid that would happen, but we watched the film... And I loved it. And I'd have to say, it's, it's my favorite film of films of that nature. I just loved it. And I want to say this, because I had read a lot of stuff, a lot of naysayers, a lot of critics, a lot of cynics. And, uh, you know, a couple of people have made comments about, well, certain details weren't accurate, or the timeline was right, or whatever. And, and even I did that. I was a little critical. Some of the music they used, is the thing, I thought, well, that song didn't come out until two years later. But here's the deal. I loved the films The Lord of the Rings trilogy. I loved those films. And a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, who lives there in San Diego, said, well, but they didn't stick to the book perfectly. Well,
1: and they didn't, but they did stick to the books in one way. They were three different books, and they made them three different movies instead of trying to cram three books into one two-hour movies, which is what a lot of producers would have done. So you got to give them credit for that. I loved the Lord of the Rings movies. Well,
0: I did, and I read the books
1: too. And it's true, they didn't always stick to the books, but they did a pretty darn good job,
0: all in all. They did a great job, and I actually I liked the film more because it didn't take as much work even though Leslie and I did a uh, marathon we watched the unedited version all three films Oh
1: I know back. I have those too the director's cuts yeah they it, take forever
0: it <laughs> takes forever but The but Two Towers seems Tolkien. like the 10 or
1: 12 oh, towers yeah
0: but, but reading Tolkien for me is much more tedious <laughs> so I enjoyed the film. Tolkien can the be he's is.
1: brilliant but he can be dry also
0: yeah yeah well if you take two pages to describe a tree, it's like okay, I get it. It's <laughs> I know, a tree. I know. You know? When I
1: read novels, I like dialogue. I like characters' train yeah. of thought. I don't need five pages yeah. on what the leaves and the trees look like or what color it's the wall exactly. is. I just don't need that. Some it's, people love that kind well, of writing, so, though.
2: I was going to say no, it, that's no, sort but, of like me with uh, Stephen King. I find he overexplains things too much. Where I'm like, well, then there, there goes the whole aspect of you trying to scare me because you overexplained everything.
1: Oh, oh, that's a good point. Exactly,
2: good point. Well,
0: so this film, everything wasn't. Absolutely perfect in it. You're going to nitpick. But, man, it told the story, and it told it well. I thought Kelsey Grammer... Did a great job. He
1: was phenomenal. Now, he's always been a good actor. I loved him in Cheers. Didn't yeah. care for the program, Frasier, as much. But I always thought he was a yeah. very good actor and one of the few conservative actors in Hollywood willing
0: to speak yeah. out. And I yeah. think
1: this was the best he has ever done in anything.
0: Yeah, I, and, and sadly, there won't be any nominations from the Academy. Oh, uh, are you kidding?
1: No, not yeah. at all.
0: But I'll tell you what, I thought he did great. I, and I love the other actors, like, you know, uh, some some Christian films they you know they get affordable actors or whatever they get they get the best maybe not the best they can find so they come up with something but this one all of the actors I thought did a great job and I even I was tickled when they you know they had the band doing uh, it was doing love song playing the, the songs uh, Chuck Gerard love song. And it wasn't the original guys, but whoever was playing, it was it was fun hearing somebody play those songs and My so
1: anyway, feelings about love. dramatic liberties are that they're okay if they are Admitted, For example, I've often said The Sound of Music is my favorite movie. Now, it's based on a real story, The Von Trapp Family Singers. And it has one of the most exciting, climactic endings where they're running from the Nazis and hiding in the convent and then escaping in the Swiss Alps. Well, in the real story, all they did was hop on a train and leave Austria. (laughs)
0: However... (laughs) But it wasn't. that wouldn't
1: have been as good a movie. <laughs> well, but they did leave because the Nazis had taken over. They did leave because Captain Von Trapp had been drafted into the German Navy. And the day after they left, the borders were closed. From their point of view, the emotion and the adrenaline was right there. But that would have made yeah. a boring movie. Now, I don't mind that they made the movie the way they did. I would have had a problem with it if they tried to be Oliver Stone and say that it actually happened that way. But if you admit it, and I do writing too, I wrote a play based on the book of Philemon. We had very little information. It was about the death of the Apostle Paul and Paul telling Philemon to release his slave Onesimus. But when that play was published, I published a historical supplement and I said, this really happened. This is what I think happened. Here are different views of what may have happened. This was... invented dramatically for dramatic purposes and at least i explained all that
0: yeah yeah well this film i don't think there was a whole lot now i, I think they were very kind to lonnie frisbee uh if you read his whole story it, it didn't end pretty but he he was out there he was a loose cannon and and uh but he was a big part of this story and greg laurie of course went on to pastor and, and uh, the the harvest ministries and stuff it, it is a great story and I love the drama. I love the story of this young man, and he's struggling, trying to find truth, trying to find meaning in life, and Pastor Chuck trying to figure out what to do. I have been in those situations where young people or a street people element or beach people are coming into the church, and the board members, the elders, the older people with all the money are saying, No, we don't want this element. They're going to get sand in the carpet, whatever. And I've seen that stuff firsthand. I was not a member of Calvary Chapel, though I did visit, but I've seen those dynamics where a pastor has to make a decision to follow what he believes the Lord's telling him to do, even if people walk out the door. And so they did a good job of telling that story, and it was just a great thing. So I I love the film, and uh, I would recommend to everybody listening tonight, if you're a believer, Go see the film because it will give you a sense of history of things that took place in that era. If you're not a believer, go see it with an open mind. And it's a true story. And see, see if it doesn't challenge you a little bit. But so I love the film. And uh, having said that, then I want to kind of do what you mentioned. I'm going to add a few things, talk about some things that weren't in the film, talk about some, uh, a perspective, because I was there when all that was going on. I, I became a believer in 1968. So all of this was so close to home for me. There were, I have to admit, there was a couple of times during the film when I I just started crying, you know, because it just it brought it home. There were things in there that just really really rung in my heart. So it was it was quite an experience watching it. So
1: Well, it's going to be uh, great to interview you tonight, Jim, since you were there while it was going on. And when we're done with this revival, I want to talk about last week you mentioned the Great Awakening uh, during colonial America, and I know you were there for that one. So I want to get your perspective on that at the same time. (laughs) Okay. Uh Let me just quickly say what I liked about it. When I said I would put it as a notch above other films. Okay, first of all, just true confession here. I knew about this era. I was saved in 73. I knew the Jesus movement and calling them the Jesus freaks and the idea that the hippies and the Haight-Ashbury and the Hare Krishna movement and the anti-war protests and the drugs but then the Jesus movement kind of interwove with that and then later separated from that. I knew all that. I was saved in the swell of that. I wasn't in the thick of it as much as you, but I know those days, and I knew this was going to be an accurate story about the revival. Now, I had not studied up much on this movie ahead of time other than the fact that you told me last week on the show that you wanted to talk about it. So I thought, okay, I need to go see this thing. And yesterday I said, boy, it's Saturday. Tomorrow's Sunday. I better go see this thing. Now, while I knew it was based on a true story, I thought at the time that I was watching fictitious characters. And then all of a sudden I'm starting to hear, wait a minute, they called him Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie was the head of Harvest Crusade. And then my wife turns to me, she goes, yes, and Kelsey Grammer, that's Chuck Smith. I'm going, oh my gosh, Chuck Smith, the head of Calvary Chapel. So, for the first half of the movie, I thought I was looking at fictitious characters, but just from the point of view of drama and thinking they were fictitious, the character that you mentioned, Lonnie Frisbee, the guy that looks like Jesus and he's the hippie dude, for the first half of the movie, everything he says and everything he does, it's weird, but It's right on, and he just seems so pure and so... Innocent, and he almost seems like Jesus incarnate. And I love the things he said, and I love the effect that he had on Kelsey Grammer. But then, when in the second half of the movie he started to derail, and the Greg Lurie character, of course, was very complicated from the beginning, I remember thinking they're showing the Christians as multi dimensional people. They're showing the skeletons in their closet. I don't like it when, on one hand, the movie paints the unbelievers and skeptics as demons and the Christians as perfect saints. The people that aren't Christians could have some. Good in them, the people that are Christians, they still wrestled with things. So I love the fact that they yeah. were being honest. And then yeah. when I realized that they're talking honestly about real people that really existed, and yeah. they're going no holds barred, I was very impressed by that. We're going to come back. And we've listened to your perspective on it, Jim, and Brendan okay. can jump in too. But that's what I liked about it. This was not like those old movies where all of a sudden at the end of the film, they turn on TV and Billy Graham's talking and they all get saved. This was a yeah, real yeah, yeah. story, major production, quality script, top-notch acting. It wasn't one of those 12 for a dollar scripts that they used to make the film. It was really good. I strongly recommend it. You're listening to The Bob Siegel Show.
3: Believe it or not, Bob Siegel is aware that there may be one or two people who disagree with his opinions. To offer your own comments on the topic at hand, or to challenge Bob with a thought-provoking question, feel free to contact Bob on Facebook, Twitter, or questions at bobsiegel.net.
0: Now, there was an early mention in this film, just briefly, about the Time magazine cover in April of 1966, and the title said, Is God Dead? And I remember that.
1: Yeah, that was a big saying in those days. It was originated by Friedrich Nietzsche many, many years before, but it became a very popular saying in the 60s. Yeah,
0: because it seemed like Christianity was dead and, and such. Now, the movie ends, and Chuck Smith has a copy of the June 1971 edition of Time with a picture of Jesus and the title, The Jesus Revolution which is where they got the name for the film, and which was based, I think, on a book that Greg Laurie wrote. So it kind of went all the way around, from Is God Dead to the Jesus Revolution. And I just loved that thing that took place in history, where kind of like, God got the last laugh in that one. Now, I'd like to cover some stuff that's not in the film. First of all, the movement at Calvary Chapel, which was tremendous. And all of that that happened with all the kids getting baptized and stuff. In fact, my wife, Leslie, was baptized in that very cove right there when she became a believer. And that that was was in Newport,
1: wasn't it? It sure looked like Newport. Yeah,
0: Corona Del Mar, to be exact. And I think they
1: filmed a lot of it on location, although apparently a lot of it was filmed in Alabama, and I couldn't figure out. Yeah. Although I guess uh, Alabama is one of the southern states that's on the Gulf of Mexico. Is that correct? I know Mississippi is. Is Alabama another one? Uh, You don't think of the southern states as having beaches, but they actually do so. I suppose they yeah. could have made an Alabama beach look like California too.
0: Well, I think a lot of the beach scenes, they, they look familiar to me And that. There's one scene where they're on a ferry boat. Yeah, that was and the Newport ferry
1: boat. I've been on that. Yeah, that I've been
0: yeah. on that many times. Yeah. So that was fun. It was familiar. But the Jesus Movement didn't really start at Calvary Chapel. It certainly got a big boost and got a lot of publicity. But there were earlier things that took place. Now, uh, you know, do you know Dennis Agagianian? He's hes out of El Cajon there. He's a musician. Great, great
1: guitarist. No. I am not familiar with him.
0: He used to travel with Franklin Graham a lot, with the uh, Samaritan's Purse thing. But Dennis says that to his knowledge, it started at Hollywood First Presbyterian in 1968. Same kind of thing. There were young people, street people, and finding the Lord. And they started a coffee house, which became a very popular thing to do. And their coffee house was called Salt Company. And their house band was called Salt Company. (laughs) And I went up to see them. I went up there. Basically, in those days, The only music available, they had to do Peter, Paul, and Mary songs or folk music. You know, there was nothing really, there was no Christian rock yet. But Hollywood First Presbyterian is where Larry Norman came out of. How about that? And he he was the godfather of Christian rock. I don't care what anybody says, he was the first. He holds a place in Christian history and Christian music that nobody else has. And then he led his friend Randy Stonehill to the Lord. And uh, Randy wrote a song about it called Norman's Kitchen, when he when he, uh, prayed with Larry Norman in Larry Norman's Kitchen.
1: Well, you're giving but us I a didn't... rare and insightful history lesson, and you're also breaking down a lot of stereotypes, because so much for the Presbyterians being known as the frozen chosen, right?
0: Yeah, well, you know what? It was happening there, and I went up there, and they, they were a big part of a Jesus march. I remember marching in the streets with a Jesus march, and uh, it was great stuff, and And it was a lot of it was kind of like the counterculture. You know, we had the civil rights marches and we had the anti-war protests. But when the Jesus thing started happening, then kids were getting in the street and they were marching, holding up signs for Jesus. And you saw some of them in the film, the one-way signs and all of that. My favorite, I still remember to this day, in this Jesus march that I I attended, someone had a big sign and it said, the difference between Christmas and Buddhism." Is Easter, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they said that before that. Seinfeld invented the holiday of Festivus.
0: Yeah, yeah, but there was great stuff going. on. I used to go up there all the time to Hollywood First Press and uh, go to their coffee house and go to the concerts, and I saw Larry Norman there a couple of times. So that was actually happening before the Calvary Chapel explosion. Now there were other notables during this era. There was a fellow named Dwayne Peterson who started the Hollywood Free Paper which was kind of a response to the L.A. Free Press, which is a very radical uh, leftist paper. And Dwayne Peterson started the Hollywood Free Paper. And uh, he's been credited with coming up with the term Jesus People in his writings and stuff. And then there was a fellow that was actually up, uh, out of Berkeley. A lot of people don't know it, but what was behind this guy was Campus Crusade for, for Christ, but his name was Jack Sparks. Oh, and Jack was-
1: Sparks, he wrote the book The Mindbenders.
0: Yeah, and he started the Christian World Liberation Front which sounded very radical but it was, it was it was a response to all of the radical stuff in Berkeley to say that true revolution is a spiritual one and and the Christian World Liberation Front was Was taking place. Well, now I've
1: got a. Here's where I intersect with history a little bit. It wasn't Jack Sparks himself, but some people following him. They started a church that was supposed to be the only true church because they felt they were getting back to the days of orthodoxy in the first several years of Christianity. And I had some run-ins with them when I did campus ministry at UC Santa Barbara. When I left UC Santa Barbara to start a ministry at UC San Diego, I found out that that church actually purchased my house because they were trying to buy up the college community of Isla Vista. So here's where this history intersects with me a a little bit. But it sounds like when Sparks uh, was with crusade, he was right on. But I think those guys derailed a little bit later.
0: A lot of that happened during the Jesus movement. There were a lot of things that were very cult-like that came out of that. There was a lot of rebellion. Because remember, these were primarily attracting people Street people, former drug users, that type of thing. And so there was very anti establishment. So there was a lot of stuff that went off the
1: rails dude it's <laughs> jesus and like man he's uh he's just <laughs> rad man actually they didn't say oh, rad. they didn't say rad in those days they said groovy which i think is one of the dumbest words ever invented but anyway oh no
0: because that now goes, i digress it kind of goes back to goes back to jazz music You're it, it does but it
1: really took on a life in the 60s the word groovy and simon ah, and yeah. garfunkel singing the feeling groovy song I, I love garfunkel and simon but the no. word groovy i always yeah. thought it was just a
0: dumbest word ever invented i'll try not to use it there's another fellow you probably remember this guy arthur Blissett. you remember him uh, no i don't he's oh my gosh He's the guy. He used to preach on Sunset Strip, again, before most of these things were taking place. And he's the guy. He built this big old cross and carried it across country.
1: Okay. Well, now I know of the person. I didn't recognize the name, but I, yeah. I, I always heard about the guy carrying the cross around.
0: That, yeah, I that was Arthur, Arthur Blessed. I've read stories that supposedly he's the one that led George W. Bush to Christ. No and kidding. So, uh, wow. Yeah. And so he was another one. He was a little goofy. He was, he was a little well, goofy, now, but that's
1: okay. Well, and this was something so. that came out in the movie. When you look at the people that Jesus hung around with, it was yeah. the prim and proper clergy of Jesus day that had the problems with them, not all of them. Some of them converted, yeah. like Paul. And there was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they were good. I want to be fair. But for the most part, Jesus was hanging around with the wretched refuse, tax collectors. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, There oh, were yeah. people that they called sinners, as if the Pharisees were not sinners themselves. Technically, exactly, they knew yeah. that the Day of Atonement atoned for them. But you'd been, been hard-pressed to get them to confess, an honest-to-goodness, real-life sin in real time. And Jesus hung out with these people he hung out with harlots and so that part of the movie captured this really well that these are the kind of people that Jesus would be with and not just the hippie crowd anybody that's a little eccentric that marches to the beat of a different drum that doesn't quite fit in, those are the people that are longing for another kingdom they're looking beyond this world and they're not just repeating media talking points or repeating everything that their friends say around the water cooler. Right
0: and Jesus said it's the sick who need the physician. Yes. And I've always i've tried to remember that in my you know i spent 40 years as a pastor and sometimes you get some people and you just think what's wrong with this person well what's wrong with him he's human <laughs> and and jesus has saved him and he's, jesus is doing his best to clean this guy up but man they're just sometimes they're quirky that's the reality sometimes the people who become believers and they serve god they're still broken fallen people and god uses them in spite of that And quirky here we go let's let me get one more in here before the break there was a guy I consider the voice crying in the wilderness. And he was preaching up on Sproul Plaza at Berkeley before any of this was taking place. His name was Holy Hubert. Oh, I remember Holy
1: Hubert, yeah. Holy
0: Hubert. Oh, yeah, and he, bless your dirty heart.
3: That was his tagline all the time. (laughs) Okay, hold hold with
1: me, Jim. We've got to take another break. You're listening to The Bob Siegel Show.
3: People are enjoying Bob Siegel's time travel novel, Push the Winds Around. Check out these customer reviews on Amazon.com. This is one of those books like certain movies where you keep thinking about it long after you finished. Once I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down until I'd read the entire book, literally a page turner. Every character came to life. Their personalities were well-defined and consistent. First thing I did after I finished the book was to ask about the sequel. The next customer said, I read this book cover to cover in one sitting, great read with completely unexpected ending that left me wishing there was just one more chapter. Give yourself a couple of hours to read it all at once because you won't want to put it down. Push the Winds Around, available on amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. If
2: I can interject, yeah. let me put out some of my points about this movie, too, because I know we're getting okay. into the part where I have something that was similar to Bob, because we talked about this off the air, about uh, one part that we were kind of iffy on that didn't explain, and you're in that section of the okay. movie. But first, I couldn't agree more. I think Kelsey Grammer was absolutely excellent. And then you mentioned the fact, is this his best role he's ever been? And I looked at his filmography for movies. I can totally agree. I can't think of any other movie he's been in that I uh, say, oh, he did a better job acting. This is actually his best You know what he
1: was great. In. Have you ever seen an American Carol? It was a takeoff of the Christmas Carol, no, but it I was did not. it was done by the guy that produced the Kentucky Fried movie and the Naked Gun Three and a Half. Okay. But he became oh, wow. more conservative okay. after 9 11 So he made this conservative patriotic movie, and it's about a guy like Michael Moore, who wants to end the Fourth of July, and he's visited by three spirits and the ghost of mm. and one of them is George Washington, one of them is John Kennedy, and one of the spirits wow. is George S. Patton, and he's played. By Kelsey Grammer, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, that's well, how can Frazier be George Patton?" You could, but he did wow. great. I mean, he was no George C. Scott, but he really did great. He sounded like Patton.
2: Okay, I, I have to. Go I and never take a saw that one. And it was, oh, and it was a okay. hilarious movie too. By okay, the way. so I had to agree on that. Is this the best Christian film ever made? I. Wouldn't go that far yet because the directors of the movie, which are the Irwin brothers, I looked at their filmography and they actually have some really, really good ones in their filmography. I talked to Bob off the air about this. I can only imagine is one of my favorite films and I highly, highly recommend.
1: I Ver- did see that. I thought it was excellent. Yes. Also,
2: and I truly think that non-believers out there, atheists, they'll actually be touched by that movie as well. And that was the moment the guy really
1: reconciled with his abusive dad. Wasn't yes, it? exactly. Yeah, that was good. Uh-huh. That was yeah. really good.
2: And uh, I'll get back to that movie in a second because i'll use that as an example for this movie i thought woodlawn was very very good that one i have not seen uh, that is about an african-american football player who decides to go to a well i I guess he doesn't decide but he has to go to an all-white school and everyone is continually making racist remarks against him but the one thing they can all agree on and they will always have everything like a kumbaya moment is in religion and finding the true meaning of god and it is a really really heartwarming touching film i saw it with my mom and we were really really touched by that so those are are just two on the top of my head, I looked at their filmography okay. again of uh, films that I would say touch me a little bit more, but this one 's still a very, very good film Now, I do have a couple of complaints about the movie uh number one, there is way too many side plots in this movie it 's kind of hard for me to focus in on the main plot so much, and I wish we would focus more on the main plot because the side plots aren 't very good and By the way, that other character there 's a hippie character named charlie am I supposed to assume that 's the guy? that was committing all those murders in the 70s? Oh, no. no? Okay. That,
1: that no, no, wasn't no, Charles no,
2: Manson. No, 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 no I was no, wa- no. I was wondering, because they never explained it enough, and I was like, ooh, if this is... The well just extreme. to make you feel
1: better brendan when that yeah. magazine writer we didn't know who he was and he says i'm going to write my article i knew they were set by this time of course i knew i was watching the true story and i figured this is going to be some really well i thought it was going to be alex haley because he wrote for playboy magazine oh. i thought there was going to be a pro jesus article <laughs> in playboy mags but then of course i realized oh no of course they yeah. were making a big issue out of the time magazine article but yeah that's yeah. just to
2: make you feel better brendan about yeah. your charles okay, manson good, good. just wanted to make sure because i again i felt like like the movie didn't explain it very well, and I was kind of scared about that. I was like, Oh my goodness, this is going to an extreme moment here in the movie. But by the way, I guess we should have warned the
1: audience we're giving
2: a lot of this away. Oh, well, Although it is based on real history. So. I wouldn't say this is yeah. a spoiler, yeah. I mean, I just mentioned one character. Car- well, you okay. still want I mean, to see it. Last thing I will say, first off, I never knew about the music part being two years apart from each other in certain scenes. I was only kind
1: of, a gym barrier a Jim would barrier. notice that. That's
2: right. But my point about the music was I felt like it was very, very cliche shade in terms of how they used the music. Specifically, they'll go, let me take you back to a time, and then they'll start playing a certain song. Or, of course, when something really bad is about to happen, they'll play House of the Rising Sun. Oh, now, I
1: gotta animals. admit, though, when yeah. he, that was right when he ran had that run-in with his girlfriend's dad. Right. And I have to admit yeah. that House of the Rising Sun seemed to fit the mood
2: No, perfectly. it did. It's just uh, the obvious choice. That's one of our bumper
1: musics, so yeah, House of the true. Rising Sun. So I mean, what can
2: I say? I mean, all I'm saying is that it's an obvious choice, and I was like, ah, yeah, come on you could have chosen that someone. is but true
1: okay. i must admit it did seem kind of obvious but i still liked it no but, no no it, it
2: the scene is still effective and what but you're, you're right trying when to it's convey... predictable
1: it's not quite as good right we shouldn't be able to predict
2: and i things. bet we'll get to i'm going to save my last and this is the biggest complaint i have about the film and again i talked to you with bob off the air but i want to get back to jim again and give him his time because Thank he's probably going to bring it up here so those are my thoughts i, I still like the time. film no. <laughs> and everything in the movie i think is very heartwarming and touching but again and we'll get to the major complaint maybe soon. Here we'll see where Jim goes. So Jim, floor is yours.
0: Well, uh, yeah, we're about. It's almost time to wrap up here.
1: Oh
2: no, so, we
0: uh,
1: have another
2: whole segment coming up after
0: this. Whole segment, okay. So where I, where are we left off? See, now I got. We, oh, well, we go. finished
2: with a guy named Holy uh, H- Hubie. Yep. Holy and Hubert. Hubert. Okay. Yeah. Hubert excuse well,
0: what me. What I wanted. What I wanted to talk about because the very important part of this story is the music that came out of that event because they started bringing young people in and musicians and there's a lot of scenes in there with people with guitars and stuff and it was a very significant uh, that there was the formation of what we now call contemporary christian music and modern praise and worship and that was a big deal some of the other artists that were part of that maranatha music specifically just out of calvary chapel of course there was love song and chuck gerard they were in the film blessed hope sweet comfort band children of the day the Way, Debbie Kerner, Mustard Seed Faith, Karen Lafferty, Daniel Amos, one of my favorite bands, were all part of that Maranatha music. And then there were other artists and bands that began to come out. It was, uh, Barry McGuire got saved and Phil Kagi, Dion DeMucci, uh, who was way back in the days, you know, The Wanderer and the Runaround Sue, and he started doing Christian music, as did Johnny Rivers, Paul Stuckey from Peter, Paul, and Mary. And one of my favorites, Andre Crouch, who was already, they were just a gospel group, you know. He performed at the church I
1: attended in San Jose. Andre Crouch came and did a live concert there.
0: Yeah. I've said this before, but I played on stage with an awful lot of those people because I was in a band in San Diego called The One Way. So... We were the house band for the One Way In, the coffee house. (laughs) Whenever one of these groups would come down to San Diego, we would be like the warm-up act. So I got to share the stage with an awful lot of these Well, but what an
1: honor to be able to share the stage with them. Unfortunately, not so honored that we have to not take a break. We will be right back.
3: Bob Siegel not only writes fiction, but nonfiction as well. Over the years, Bob has received wonderful comments about his book on Christian apologetics entitled, I'd Like to Believe in Jesus, But... Many have put this book in the hands of their seeking, unbelieving friends, and the book takes it from there. This is because the book has a rhetorical skeptic that argues with Bob about the harder, less frequently discussed questions. As a result, the reader is immediately aware that they are reading from an author who relates to them. The moment they find themselves questioning something they see, their very question appears in the text. Every question in this book was one that was personally put to Bob during his many years of speaking on college campuses. I'd like to believe in Jesus, but... Available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com.
1: I'm your host, Bob Siegel, and my beautiful wife, Dana, is at home listening this and she texted something interesting Jim regarding what you said about Hollywood Presbyterian she said that is the same church that Henrietta Mears came from she was a very influential Sunday school teacher she is the founder of Forest Home Dana grew up at Forest Home and was with Billy Graham at the Forest Home when he dedicated his life to serving the Lord to become an evangelist and Bill Bright of Campus Crusade was also in her Sunday school class so we always hear about the famous people like Billy Graham but the quiet people that led them to the Lord. There's probably a special place in heaven for them.
0: Yeah, I still have a copy of Henrietta Mears through the Bible. a Great, great writer. So some of the stuff that happened, aside from the film, when the Jesus movement really broke, and, and I mean, it was there were millions of young people that got saved during that time, and it spread all over the country, really all over the world. But there were new things happening that the church wasn't used to. There were coffee houses, and most churches, if they wanted to be hip. If they wanted to keep young people, then they'd have to open a coffee house out in the back somewhere, and they could play their music, and kids would come and sit on the floor and listen to Christian music. House churches became a thing. I, in fact, I was in a house. It was the Lord's Fish House. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord's Fish House. And, uh, Sounds like a restaurant. Well, well, that's what everybody thought, but it was because of the, the fish thing, the Ixos well, it's thing. It's making and, me hungry uh, for
1: lobster right now.
0: Oh, man, I like that. But we had a house, and we didn't ever want to call it a church. But thats I look back, and I go, well, we were having meetings there. People were coming there every week. And it was. Uh, it was a home church. Uh, and then communes. I visited a few communes. I didn't live in any communes, but I visited some of them. There were Christian communes. And, and they were kind of weird, quirky. Like, wow, crazy. like
1: here in this commune, it's like, wow, man. It's just like yeah, love yeah. everywhere.
0: But these were people that... They, they didn't fit real well into Orthodox church culture. And so there were forming places for people to live their life of faith and try to have community and try to have fellowship and worship and everything. So there was a lot of that stuff going on. And uh, another thing that was very interesting was because of all the contemporary Christian music that happened, it became marketable to do spiritual-sounding songs on the radio. So we had songs like Spirit of the Sky and My Sweet Lord and Jesus is Just All Right. With Anyway, there was a bunch of those songs, the Oh Happy Day, and, and most of the songs were not very solid theologically, but the point of it is that even the secular radio stations found that it was marketable to have Christian-sounding songs. And then we had musicals like Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, which we've talked about. And uh, I, I actually a lot.
1: liked Godspell I, better than Jesus Christ Superstar.
0: I I know you did. I, I like I liked the music in Jesus Christ Superstar much better. Uh, Godspell, but it, they were both interesting and they but the point is that there was a market for that kind of stuff because of the Jesus movement. It became kind of vogue for celebrities to claim to be born again. You know, all of a sudden all these these uh Larry Norman said it. He said, underground Christians are springing up out of the dirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, and we even had a president who claimed to be born again. He wasn't my favorite president. And he even the partners.
1: Hindu can jump in and say, I've been born again and again and, and again. again.
0: And, and again, yeah. But but it changed the culture. It changed the culture because it became something that was visible, and Christians didn't have to hide being a Christian. Now, it didn't last forever but it was really quite a phenomenon. And they made mention in the film briefly of Explo 72. It was a big concert. It was kind of, They called it the Christian Woodstock. It really wasn't. But it was a big thing in Dallas. And Billy Graham preached there. And most of these people that I mentioned sang there. And a uh, big gathering of young people. And uh, that was quite a phenomenon to have something like that. And I saw... Lots of these things happening even in my own life and the places I was. I, I tried to tell the story last week and ran out of time. It's going to happen again. But uh, I was at a church that started off with 12 people. And by the time I got there, there was 200 people. And by the time I moved to Texas, there was 3,500 people on Sundays. And uh, we were having a baptism service because all these young people were getting saved. And they brought all their friends to come to church. on am getting baptized. And what happens? is young people started running down the aisle saying, I want to get baptized, I want to be a Christian, and we wound up baptizing over 60 new young people that one night, and that church exploded. So uh, I'm just saying that there was was a phenomenon that was something you couldn't program, you couldn't make it happen, but there was an outpouring and there was an in-gathering, and there was quite a movement where a lot of young people got saved, and a lot of them are still hanging around. I'm one of them. I'm not young anymore. I have a lot of friends that went into the ministry, different ministries, some missionaries, some pastors, just different things. So it was just a phenomenal thing that took place. But this film that we we were talking about tonight, The Jesus Revolution, I thought was a fair depiction of what took place in one community, at one church, and and in the lives of a couple of individuals. Chuck Smith, I know the movie's supposed to be about Greg Laurie, uh, and it is a lot, but Chuck Smith was the guy that opened up the doors and let people come in. And I I just love the scene where he's washing kids' feet.
1: Oh, yes, because the deacon or whatever had complained that they came in barefoot on their new shag carpet. Hey, um, Lonnie Frisbee was also a very key player. In the time we have left, they didn't wrap up really well, other than with a quick footnote at the end. And this is what Brendan was alluding to. What do you have to say about Lonnie Frisbee? Because there was a falling out of the ways, and I know there was reconciliation. But there was a lot of backsliding, and he died of AIDS. Yeah. A lot of stuff that they didn't get into in the movie. Yeah. Your thoughts no. about and Lonnie I, Frisbee?
0: Well, I I think that that is all true, and and uh, that's why I said early on when I when I mentioned him, he was he was a loose cannon. But you know, God has used people with problems. Oh, he was absolutely used by
1: God. He may have fallen yeah, away yeah, and come no. back, but God was definitely yeah. using him. There's no doubt about
0: that. And so that would be my bottom line. Would be okay. He was in a place, and God used him, and it was important as a person. His, you know, what if we start talking about who's perfect and who's got sin in their life? Well, then we got to like bring, a bring a King in King David
1: and his adulterous affair, and <laughs> so
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're all in trouble if, if you have to measure up to whatever standard you want to put up there yeah yeah he was a mess
1: i know and that's what we weren't going with the point of view of oh my gosh he fell away it was just right can you speak to the fact of why you think the movie didn't do as much to tie up what happened with him
0: i don't think it would have been redemptive to the film and the story that the film was trying to portray Uh, so you think
1: it would have been too much of a skewed off sidetracking issue for them if they got into the weeds too much with that
0: possibly you'd have to ask the producers
1: that It's but just that he was such a I major was kind of... he was such a major yeah. character to the film that's yeah. what surprised me yeah. a little bit that they just kind of yeah. he leaves for florida and we don't hear any more about him see yeah. per, see for
2: me personally yeah. i would have said to include that other part about him a being gay and then also you know having to deal with his wife and everything and everything but it's a way of showing the whole message of the movie to me was about acceptance acceptance from outsiders yeah. whether you were a hippie or some other thing and Here's a good example of we are accepting someone in the gay community, and the gay community gets lambasted constantly, but us as Christians, we want to try to accept them. So that's my opinion. Well, and of course you mean I accept
1: thought. accept that they struggle with their sin like everyone else, not accept the lifestyle yeah. itself, right?
2: Well,
0: I, I, and I'm not yeah, you know, I'm not sure that Chuck Smith or any of those other people were aware of that in his life during the time when this when this piece took place, when this film was happening, the story that was being told. No, I don't of course think not. That anyone yeah. was aware of that. So, so in that sense, it wasn't relevant to the story that was being told. There are so many aftermath things that could have been told, but I think they were focusing on one particular event in history. So I, you know, I thought it was well done, and I don't have a problem with the fact that they didn't give all of that stuff because there's so many things they could have gone into. You know, with the number of those musicians, they could have told stories and all of the things that Greg Laurie went through he was so young in this film but he had a great history after that but they didn't go into that stuff either so um i didn't really have a problem with that well obviously we
1: could probably spend another whole show but that just shows you what an important and in-depth film it was we strongly all three of us recommend to everyone in the audience to go out and see this right away jesus revolution this is bob siegel we will see you next time
0: Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.